We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Follow a terrible football club when your manager wins an award for making you a little less shit. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Alex Smith, the Black Man, Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. And Postacoglu won Manager of the Year at the London Football Awards. And his key achievement is, quote, in the race for the top four in his first season in charge, playing attacking and fun football. So, like... Spurs maybe could potentially be in the top four and their football's a little less dull and misery-inducing. That's what qualifies as doing a bang-up job at Tottenham Hotspur these days. Meanwhile, Mikel Arteta did not win it for, quote, topping the group in the Champions League and being in the Premier League title race. So I don't I don't know. I mean, you know, your mileage may vary on what qualifies as good or not, but I guess, what do they call it? The uh, soft bigotry of low expectations? Like, I think Tottenham Hotspur are um, lowering their expectations down to the level that is appropriate. I hope you enjoyed the director of football episode we put out yesterday on the main feed from the Patreon um, to get you through as Arsenal don't play until Monday. Newsflash, uh, podcast about football club has crisis over football club not playing football so that's out we did schadenfreude about united and chelsea and spurs that's out we did a rewatch of the newcastle game where we talked mudrick rumors and the finances that's out so it's all over there if you want to be there but here's the cool thing if you don't want to be over there then like we're literally doing a podcast right now clive continues to be quite ill um tim is otherwise occupied they send their regards. They will be back on soon. But that does not mean we don't have two of the most fantastic football contributors imaginable. One is a man you know well. His name is Paul. You can find him on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hello, pause. Woohoo! And the other is a man you are beginning to know well, and that is Jacob Hawley. Hello, Jacob. How's it going? Yeah, it's going It's going great. You uh, you have a big stand-up show tour thing coming up. You're going to take on the world, your Netflix special. What's What's going on? Yeah, come out. I'm I'm starting my tour next week uh, in Brighton, and then I'll be uh, I'll be in London at the Park Theatre near the Emirates on uh, in June. So yeah, good times coming. It's it's great to be back on the pod. I think this is my first appearance on the podcast that isn't within an international break. Mm. So it feels like when Cedric starts getting Premier League minutes, 
and everyone gets a bit worried thinking this feels like too much of a role for this guy. Are we taking it? You know, maybe maybe we've, we're looking past Sheffield United so much that we're bringing you on the pod during like just regular <laughs> yeah, times, yeah. right? Like yeah. this this is a sign of the standards, the fogging standards are are dropping. But, you know, I mean, they are bottom of the table and we don't play until Monday. So we're going to we're going to give you a run out, Jacob. OK, it's just become a trap game. That's what's happened. The trap pod. It's a trap pod. Um, okay, well, trap trap debate aside, trap discourse aside, um, we're going to talk about that game in the team news. I think there is some interesting team news. Uh, there's some Urian Timber news that I think is worth talking about. But when David Ornstein throws transfer names out, we have to do that for the clicks. We got to do it. I mean, what what else are we going to do? So I guess we'll start here. And Jacob, I'll start with you. David Ornstein has been speaking, the Ornicle. Um, and... He talked, let's start first with the ins that he referenced. And he said that striker is on the agenda, which I don't think would surprise uh, anyone. And the names he threw out, he said, quote, a striker is the main focus. And they admire Benjamin Sesco, Victor Giocaris. Is that how we're saying it, by the way? I think so. Yeah, I think so. And Evan Ferguson, I can say that one. Um, Considering that, you know, names like Osimhen and and uh, Ivan Tony have been talked about a lot in the in the fan base, this is a bit of a zig to our zag. So I'm curious what you make uh, of the the clarification that Stryker is the main focus, not super surprising, but the three names thrown out, Sesco, Gilchrist, and Evan Ferguson. Yeah, it's, it feels like a slight shift in profile, doesn't it? If it, it feels like what we was talking about a few weeks ago, be that a Tony or an awesome hen felt like a kind of an, an a choice striker, someone who's going to come in and displace whoever our nine is at the moment. And I mean, you can have long debates about who that actually is, but these names don't necessarily feel that way. Do they? These names feel like younger players like Sesco and Ferguson, who would potentially come in and take a bit of time to adapt and maybe take a bit of time to develop. And Gokarez, who who's 25, so he's prime age, Coming from Portugal, spent a lot of time in England not doing too much, is scoring hatfuls of goals in Portugal at the moment. But again, I don't think you'd necessarily expect him to just come in, displace Jesus, Trossard, Havertz, whoever our nine actually is at the moment, and, and make that spot his own. These feel like names who I don't doubt they'd still be expensive, but aren't necessarily coming in and being the A-choice striker at Arsenal, taking the number nine shirt and saying, I'm going to be the guy on the first day of the season that plays nine and does so for 38 games. Mm. I, I just want to give you some data here. Victor Giocaris currently, you know, looking pretty darn good uh, at sporting. 17 goals, uh, eight assists in 21 starts. So, you know, has been fit, played a lot of minutes. And I think one thing worth looking at, he played at Coventry City the the uh, last three seasons prior to that. But in the last two seasons prior to being at Sporting, he, he started 44 games last season and 41 games the season before, racking up 4,000 minutes and 3,600 minutes respectively in his league campaigns. So I think that's pretty relevant. Um, you know, he looks pretty elite on the underlying metrics. Uh, he's taking more than three shots per 90. I mean, there's a lot there. The thing that I think some people might point to is he'll be turning 26 this summer, and this is really his first time playing at you know at a level that would even sort of get you on the radar for an Arsenal. These late developing players, it's hard to know. You know, is it is it a Jamie Vardy situation where they sort of develop a little later in their career? 
some players, you know, bounce around a little bit. He had been at Brighton. He went to St. Pauli. Uh, then it was Swansea City, then Coventry. So Gilchrist is an interesting one. Before we move on to Sesco and Evan Ferguson, Paul, just thoughts on that one, because I think he is the one that a lot of people that I trust and read about and you know, look at data and look at scouting really like. Um, and there's he's not just that sort of fox-in-the-box striker. He can do other things. But, you know, the, the pedigree is not the traditional kind you'd expect from a big club going for a player. So how do you, um, how do you balance those two considerations? Yeah. Like on the Evan Ferguson side. Um, well, on the Gyorkers side, like for example, just yeah. the pedigree, because Ferguson's yeah. the opposite, right? The young pr- uh, prospect who's projected to be a superstar, but hasn't really gotten there yet. Right. Not quite. I don't think it'd be fair to say he's there yet. Whereas Gyorkers is doing the kinds of things. If, if he was doing this at, at, uh, sporting and he was 21 or 20, he'd be a hundred million and all the big clubs are looking at him, but the pedigree is a little different there. Yeah. It's, um, it's a very interesting space. The striker space. It's, it's like nothing else. There's no other mm. position in which, uh, it seems so league dependent. So contacts, context dependent. You look at a Romelu Lukaku, who's like, has a bit of all of that brilliant when younger or was he gets moved to a new you know doesn't does it at Everton doesn't do it at United does it in Europe can't do it at at Chelsea age isn't the factor because he's good when he's young then he's not so good when he's young he's good when he's kind of mid and hitting prime and then not good when he's hit hitting mid prime and it's like you move. The, I don't think there's a very good way of moving strikers, in particular, between leagues. It's it's just the most. It's not like like it's this unique position on the field, mm-hmm. like the goalkeeper is, but it's far more variabilities, far more context, far more. And then you look at somebody like Kai Havertz, right, uh, who played a false nine at Chelsea, and. You know, all the managers liked him. All the managers, and let's face it, Chelsea had a, would have had a lot of managers. They would have had nine or ten managers during that short period of time who have a chance to test him out. And so they all liked him, but none of the fans were convinced he could do the job uh, as a false nine. And my feeling on it was always that he was disconnected from the rest of the team. So it's the one position in which, especially the more strikery you are and the less false nine you are, you are totally dependent on the system, the context, the everything. Um, these are guys, look, I don't think many of us have watched these guys. And so that these things you can project onto. Striker is just the weirdest position to think, do I want that guy? How, he will, how will he work out for our club? Yeah. I, I, yeah. I can have st- strong opinions really on almost any other player. But strikers, I'm like, I don't know. I've literally no clue how it'll work. Well, let me ask you this way then, Jacob, because I think this is the more important or more operative question for us as fans, right? I think the the scouting side of it is a little different, and we will will scout Gilchrist and Sesco for sure over on the Patreon side, do scouting videos for those. Ferguson, I think people have seen basically enough of him. I'll say this on the Ferguson thing. Very exciting player. It is a little worrying for me how little he plays and how little he's played. Like, you're really speculating. Now, the talent looks precocious, but it's a Hoyland situation, right? In a sense, in that 
Hoyland might be very, very, very good, but it's speculating on talent. He hadn't played much and he hadn't put much on his CV. And it's a very important position that you're going to spend. I mean, for a Ferguson, I, I have no doubt Brighton will extract maximum money. Mm. So you're projecting. But I think that the more operative question is in this in this trio, Gioker is probably more than any of the others falls into the category of a guy who can, and this is based on very limited reading about him, seeing him and data analysis. So if I'm wrong and people who watch him regularly disagree, fair enough. I think he's the one who can do a little more linking and creating and passing and um, using the ball. Whereas I think Ferguson in particular has more of that Holland quality, I think, where he's going to run in behind and just give center backs an absolute nightmare of an, of an afternoon. But that that the question I'm trying to wind my way to terribly is, do we want to lean into plan A, right? I think right now, when you look when we've been good, Jesus up front, Leo, Leo Trissard at false nine, even Kai Havertz, you know, who can can combine and and link up and take a ball down and give it out to the wide players. Would you be more happy with us going for a plan B, a different player, a a guy who's really an in-the-box player, a guy who's really an end-product player, or do you want us to lean into the things that we do well and find a player who can come in and sort of seamlessly reproduce, albeit maybe even at a higher level, the kind of contributions we get from the existing options we have now? So my, my, my answer would be the latter. I, I like the latter. Same. I like yep. the idea of a... A forward, maybe less so than a nine, a forward who can operate in different areas of the pitch, who can contribute to our build up, who can pass the ball, who can, you know, receive and turn and, and, and play on the half turn. I I mean, you know, it's interesting you said about Brighton. There's a player called Jao Pedro who I know that Clive's a fan of as well. I'd be looking at him and saying that mm. that's a really interesting option. Someone who, who glides around the pitch, who moves into wide spaces, who plays throughs, you know, starts outside the block and then goes through to create chances. We we do know for a fact that Arteta has looked at a player of this profile. And when, I, when I say this profile, I mean the kind of Gokarez, Evan Ferguson, Sesco profile, the, the big tall profile. We, we know that we were looking at Calvert-Lewin for a long time. We know that we held an interest and even made bids for Vlahovic. So I... <sighs> My, my, my answer to you is I don't know. And in, in the last sort of six to 12 months, we've brought in player profiles that previously would have made me think we are moving away from what plan A is, in my understanding. Putting Declan Rice at the, at the base of our midfield rather than a, a Thomas Party who can slip out of a press, who can pass around corners, who can create chances very quickly from passing the ball, I would have thought would maybe move us away from our plan A. It hasn't. Putting a, a Kai Havertz at left eight, a player who doesn't pass the ball in the way Granite Xhaka does, uh, who who doesn't create chances for other players in the way that I think Granite Xhaka did in that position, in the way that Fabio Vieira can do when he's played in that position. I, you, I, it, that could have made me think, oh, okay, we're looking for off-the-ball dual monsters rather than players who add to our attacking guy or who add to our build-up. And, and it hasn't. It hasn't detracted from that at all. So I think... I'm going to try and remain open-minded to the idea that we could buy a player of a profile that seems to exist outside of what our style of football is and that wouldn't actually detract from our style of football because mm. this seems to be a profile we've been looking at for quite a long time. I think you'll also have to approach this window not like we approached windows two seasons ago when we were like, let's get guys who are 22 and 21 and they'll all mature together into their prime. Arsenal are in their winning period right now, right? 
the guys we depend on are approaching their prime now. We look, if not ready to win the Premier League this season, which I think we look ready to do, potentially to win it next season, the season after that. And so Evan Ferguson's 19. Sesco is 20. They might turn out to be two of the great players in world football, for all I know. But if that happens three seasons from now, that's actually probably, of course, you'd still like to have them. I'm not dismissing that. But we want someone who will come in and be excellent right now. But can, they I, have, can I ask you something, yeah, Elliot? Please. Can mm-hmm. I say so I've been thinking about this a lot, and I completely agree with you. I think I think we need sort of stage four, stage five project signing at nine, right? Mm-hmm. We need what Declan Rice was to the sixth position, the right, yep. surefire, big money, long contract comes in, hits the ground running, improves us immediately. I don't know about you, mate. I have no idea who that is at striker. Look, looking around the market, I like, and I've never known a situation like this where it's so obvious what we need. And no one can give me a name that they're certain of. I, th- I think there are people who would tell you it's Victor Osman. Like, I don't know that it's a, a clean fit style-wise, but there are people that would tell you that's who it is. I'm not so sure. I'm with you, Jacob, though. I think this is a position, and I think Paul is right on this. I think this is the hardest position to be sure that you're doing the right thing. Like, Erling Holland was a sure thing. Killing Mbappe is a sure thing. Outside of that, I mean, you are somewhat speculating. And when you look at the players big clubs with lots of money have gone for, I know we all laugh at United and we laugh at Chelsea, rightfully so, because they're hilarious clown cars. But like, Hoyland was speculation. Nico Jackson, speculation, right? Um, Nunes. Darwin Nunes. Darwin Nunes was, I mean, and and I think he's, I think he's a really good player. I know there are some people that aren't really sure, but again, speculation, that's a great point. So it's a hard position. And this is the thing. A guy who was playing at Coventry City last season, who is getting ready to turn 26, is not the pedigree a big club would normally look for. But let me say this. When you look at Evan Ferguson and Sesco, what you will see is they're in the low 40th percentile for passes. They're in like the zero percentile for assists and expected assists, right? They're in like the 40th percentile for progressive passes received. And you look at Giocares and he's 99th percentile for assists, 98th percentile for expected assists, uh, 84th percentile for passes, 67th percentile for progressive passes, 99th percentile for progressive carries, and 99th percentile percentile for progressive passes received and 99th percentile for touches in the attacking penalty area. So if you said to me just on data, if I said you can't watch football, God, the spreadsheet people would love that, right? If you could just turn the football off, not have to watch it and just look at it on a spreadsheet. I'm kidding. But if you did that, you'd say, I see a profile in Gilchrist that fits the kinds of things that our number nine does currently. But if if pedigree is what you're paying for and ceiling talent is what you're paying for, I think people would say it's Evan Ferguson all day long, or maybe it's Benjamin Sesco, who I know less well. So, Paul, I'll, I'll give you one whack this and we should move on because it's it's pure summer speculation stuff right now. But um, would you err on the side of pedigree and ceiling talent? Would you err on the side of the player who looks more ready to play our football right now despite lacking pedigree? Which is the... Which is the right move for a club that is in its winning mode? And I'll add one more detail to that, as I often do before I ask a question, which is the the player doesn't have to come in and fix us. Declan Rice kind of had to come in and fix us, and he did. 
But as far as I know, Jesus isn't going anywhere. Trissard probably isn't going anywhere, right? Kai definitely isn't going anywhere. If the guy comes in and and do, like he doesn't have to be 90 minutes every game, only hope we have to score goals. So I think we can we can factor that into what we try to bring in versus like a Declan Rice where it was like 100 million pounds and it has to work or we're dead, you know? So yeah. what, what do you think? Air, air on the side of... What fits us right now, ready to hit the ground, or ceiling talent? Uh, ceiling talent, because because okay. I think if you're bringing in the finished product, then you're really in the problem of how does he translate to our league and our team. If you bring in a, like an Isaac kind of guy who looks like he should be the right kind of stuff, the right kind of fit, you want him to stay fit and healthy. You can grow with him. You can develop him. He can become the thing you want him. You you have a moldable clay. You know he's got talent. You don't know if he'll translate, but you got time to get him there. You know where you see the Jakob Kivior discussion where Arteta is saying, you know, we 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 knew he wasn't the finished product yet. We knew he was going to need time adapt i mean even if the guy is the business and he let's say he's 21 whatever he's got to adapt to being a striker in the premier league which we've heard time and time again totally different animal they get treatment and and face defenses they never face anywhere else it's just not the same animal so like of all of those names of like it's easy for me evan ferguson but he's at brighton so you'll have to pay ridiculous amounts of money but we paid ridiculous amounts of money for players from the Premier League because they see him week in, week out, kind of in in the water they would have to swim in. Mm. So we know your goldfish ain't going to go belly up. They swim in this water today. No no water transfer required. <laughs> and like, like we might pay the ridiculous money Brighton are looking for uh, for that guy. And like you just you have a high level of confidence Evan Ferguson's gonna work out at Arsenal. Those other guys, um, even if we were watching them, we wouldn't know how it would translate. But you look at Evan Ferguson and you say, Yeah, that's gonna work. Um overall though, I'm for right now, I'm a false nine guy. I wouldn't mind if we got another guy who was of the false nine variety. You could play across two or three positions in the front, give us all of those options. We get all of our like a buy now player for me is a false nine striker. You can win the league. I know a team that has done this several times in recent years in this this new version of football that we see in the Premier League, false nining it. And so I'd spend my money for the next year or two on one more option that makes you great across the front line. It's it's a good way of looking at it for sure. I, I have to say there's a part of me that wonders if seeing his age and the fact that he was at Coventry City a season ago has us dismissing an obvious burgeoning superstar in Giocaris. Like I, I know the Portuguese league isn't a top, 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 top world-class, world-class league, but that's where Darwin Nunez came from. That's where a lot of Premier League superstars came from. And Giocaris is absolutely crushing it. He's also crushing it in the Europa League, which to be fair, not hard to do. But Kyokra is, is, I will tell you, the disco boys and girls over in our Discord, like they, they like him. I, I would be worried about bringing in a 20 or 19-year-old into this team playing this way 
needing to try to post 90 point seasons and asking them to come in and make that step up and be ready for that. Um, you know, the other thing about Kyoker is like, look, the, the championship is not the premier league, but it's physical. It's, it's a grind in the way the premier league is. And so, you know, I think Kyoker is having played 44 and 41 starts in that grind of a league is a check in, in his favor. I think you probably could get him on a lower wage and a lower fee than a Ferguson for sure. Um, and he can become part of the group instead of the guy. I don't know. It's it's a risk. I fully acknowledge buying you know 25-year-olds, 26-year-olds who are having one good season in Portugal after a an unusual journey to get there is is not traditionally how this works. Um so I, I could be off base. We'll do some scouting of them. Uh, let's shift gears a little to outgoings just quickly before we do team news and and look ahead to Sheffield United and look ahead to this weekend, among some other things. But Ornstein continued that uh, it could be a busy season. We have to determine whether to tie down Zinchenko to a new contract as he's approaching the final two years of his term. Ornstein said, so much of this uh, summer business will be contingent on exits. You could envisage the likes of Ramsdale, Tierney, Tavares, Lakanga, Smithrow, and Kedia all being looked at by suitors. For me, Jacob, this is obviously a, a big thing for Arsenal is how we move players on. And there's going to be some hard decisions. I think the hardest among them might be Smith-Rowe. I think there'll also be a very interesting and difficult decision with Thomas Partey in terms of whether there are suitors and how you move on from him. So what are your thoughts quickly? I mean, this is the less interesting side of it, obviously, because I think the names are pretty consistent. When we did our director of football series, I think the outgoings that everybody picked were pretty consistent. But yeah. is it is it time for Arsenal to prove that we, we're not hoarders, right? That we can move on the players that aren't first and foremost in our plans? I, I remember texting you, actually. I think I was listening to the Clive episode and I was texting you while, while I was listening, being like, how did you let him get away with £15 million pounds for Reese Nelson? Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> he's he's a scary man when he when he makes up his mind. <laughs> but uh, to be honest with you, that that's, that's the way I think when I think about our outgoings is like, it's going to be a party pooper. There, there's all all of the things we imagine for these outgoings. You could you could look at that list easily. Ramsdale, you could say, yeah, 25, 30. Tierney, 15. Tavares, 10. Laconga, 20. It's not happening. It, like, we, we, we need to prepare ourselves for that. In the same can, way can I tell you something, happen. by the way? Of the whole list, Tavares, Tierney, Ramsdale, Smith-Rowe, and Ketty, all the one who maybe has made a market for himself is Sammy Lakanga with the way he's played at Luton, uh, well, frankly. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's just a shame he's done it at Luton. It's a shame mm, that yeah. he's done it somewhere like Luton who, you know, don't pay anyone any kind of wage. You've never spent any kind of money on transfer fees. If he'd have done that at somewhere like, I don't know, Everton, and Everton weren't getting fines for the way they spend money, Fair. you could imagine a club like that actually spending a bit of money on a Lakanga. The, the, the unfortunate thing for us is we've probably sent him to the the only club in the league that doesn't pay any kind of transfer fees and may not be in the league next season. Um, I, yeah, I, I just think it's going to be difficult, really difficult over the summer. And I know Edu's taken so much criticism over the last couple of years about the way we sell. I, I just think the market is getting more and more and more difficult for selling players like this who are on the kind of contracts we put them on. Ramsdale's on 120 grand a week. He's, he's going to have to go to a, a top six, top seven club. Yeah, and we know there are a couple who want goalkeepers. We're also seeing that those clubs can't spend money anymore. The, the Newcastles of this world aren't allowed to spend money in the way they thought they would. So, I think it's going to be a really complex summer in terms of sales. Tim Payton from the AST 
uh, when talking about the losses we posted this week, he said, we're going to have to sell to buy. Jokerez is going to cost a lot of money. Sesco would cost money. Evan Ferguson, as we know, we're looking north of £100 million. Pounds. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it's, it's not going to be a simple summer. I, I don't think that, you know, come June, we're going to be throwing £100 million quid at a player like we did with Declan Rice last summer. I, I think this is going to be one that's a bit more of a slow burn. I think we're going to have to kill our darlings. As It's a strange one with Smith Rowe because everything the club have put out, everything that's been leaked has been the club want to keep him. There was interest from West Ham in January and it was it was leaked very, fairly clearly that we had no interest in letting him go on either a loan or a permanent transfer. <sighs> and, and yet that situation does feel destined for a departure. So I think it's going to be a long and complicated summer in, in terms of sales and I think that's going to impact our buying. And it's no fun to say it, but <laughs> you know, I've got to be honest. Well, I've listened to a lot of the. I've been listening to a lot of the director of football episodes, thinking this ain't happening, boys. <laughs> well, and, and what's so funny, right? Just so you know, I'm sitting there trying to push the prices down to something I think is realistic. I got people yelling at me saying, "How do you think we're only going to get this much for this player and that player?" So it will be interesting uh, just to settle some arguments, <laughs> see who's who's right when we see what we get, if anything, for these players. Um, but yeah, we we do need to show that we're ready to move on and take money where money's available. And and it, it may not be available. I think, Paul, the one that most people would be the most sad to move would be Smith Rowe. Mm-hmm. But like, no matter how much you love the player, it does him no good to be the 16th option in the side. You know what I mean? And like, I, I think whatever his talent is, and I think it might be prodigious, I don't know that he can get above 15th or 16th option in the side. So that's one that I think we might just have to decide to move on and be really sad it didn't happen for him here. Um, you know, and I remember when we moved on from Oxlade Chamberlain, there were a lot of people that were really upset about that. And I see these players as identical in one very important way. Players whose ceiling talent was absolutely outrageous, but whose fitness issues meant that they were very rarely able to show it and who we were sad to move on, but really never paid for it in any meaningful way. Uh, if you remember, I don't think Oxley Chamberlain really had a chance to distinguish himself at Liverpool. And, you, you know, I, I fear, and I hope I'm wrong, frankly, I fear that Smithrow might be heading for a similar kind of outcome. Is, is that the one that you look at of the group that would be sort of most controversial in terms of outgoings? Because no one's going to say much at this point about Tierney, I mean, Ramsdale, whether we love him or not, we know that's got to go. Tavares, Sambi, Inkedia, I think, you know, whatever you think of him, it's clear that we're we're sort of moving past that, especially bringing another striker. Is, is Smithrow really the controversial one? Or could you see there being a sort of shock exit, someone that really, really isn't expected, you know, like a Jesus or like a, a Zinchenko or something like that? Yeah, it's quite interesting because when was the last time? There was a time where we felt vulnerable. We had our the jewels, our jewels out, and it was like, who who are they coming in for this summer? That seems like such a long time ago. To your point, that we don't worry about the fact that we have these. We now have some great players on relatively low wages, which makes them somewhat vulnerable in a team that's in the shop window just by virtue of how well they're doing with this younger team. And really, we're not worried because the club has done such a fantastic job. Sometimes we may quibble 
uh, how much we've paid a player to keep them in the mix, to keep them around, you know, your Eddie and Ketty in Ketty wages or whatever, mm-hmm. which I think are a symptom of having a stable squad that hangs together. You can argue, argue it either way, but there's a price to be paid on, but it has had the benefit of the stability of this squad where we go to sleep at night or go to sleep during a transfer window, not thinking they're going to come for our crown jewels and successfully take them. Yeah. Smith was the one. Are, are you able to sleep through an entire transfer window? Um, I <laughs> mean, emotionally <laughs> work with me here, Elliot. Okay. Don't listen to my words. <laughs> listen to my thoughts your meaning <laughs> um all right let, yeah let's smith start. rose the one can i say one thing so you did ask me because i'll, I'll like the thing about smith Rowe to jacob's point is you don't get that messaging from the club but he's probably the one player they can't give that messaging about that they're like you know will we won't we sell them let's see how we get the, like you just can't this is it's like a child right it, there's a relationship with smith Rowe. Uh, and I can't can't quite formulate why, but I think we could all come up with a version of why Smith Rowe is different. He's also different, to your point, in terms of prodigious talent, where the ceiling isn't known, where we feel we know the ceiling on everybody else. In, in fact, it's worse than that. We've seen him, and he was brilliant, and he was a game changer for us. And like that's burned in. That's like a like the branding. F- the fired up branding you burn into the flesh and like, we won't let that go easily. It's interesting though. Um, when I was at the Emirates for the Newcastle game, by the time he came on, I was feeling pretty good. And I wouldn't say I was scrutinizing his performance too much. And what stood out to me from that game was the, um, the near goal. Right. But I did have a lot of people come back at me after that and say, Hey, I think you missed some, poor off the ball play actually in terms of switching off and letting them, you know, get, get at our back four and, and lead to a, a goal they scored. And so I think that is the other thing that we really have to consider about anybody we bring in and anybody we might be willing to move on is the extent to which they do the things out of possession that we know Mikel demands and that they can do those things. So I think there is a bit of a question there. I think we can start to turn the page from summer transfers, given that uh, my calendar says it's the 1st of March. I don't know what yours is reading currently, depending on when you're listening to this. Um, But I still want to talk about the weekend's fixtures, the impact of playing third, right, after Liverpool again, after City again, and a little bit maybe about, uh, I do want to cover team news because there's some really interesting team news, and then maybe a little bit about a March uh, that's shaping up to be pretty fallow in terms of, actual football um because i think all that is uh relevant and interesting probably more than summer transfers but before i do that i have to tell you like whenever i go overseas the nordvpn thing is an absolute godsend and i have a great story because i got to meet a bunch of patrons at a bar on upper street a pub on upper street while uh while i was over in london we're all together and the united game's going on and of course, it's a 3, 3 p.m. kickoff, I think it was, or something like that. Yeah, it was 3 p.m., right? I want to say. And um, so it's not on TVs, and it was the United-Fulham game. And everyone's like, oh, it'd be so much fun to have that on and see United lose. And they were losing 1-0, and then it was tied. And then I went, oh, wait, I have Nord. So I took out my phone. I hit the Nord VPN button. I brought up my Peacock subscription. 
And we got to see the last five minutes in the pub as Alex Iwobi beat Manchester United and everybody went nuts and it made the occasion even that much more special. And like, it just is such a reminder. You got to have this app. It's it's not expensive. You put it on your phone, on your computer, on your tablet, whatever. You tap a button, you browse in the region you want to browse so you can watch Match of the Day or you can browse back to your um, your subscription. I know people you know buy foreign subscriptions just so they can watch the games that aren't available to them in their region. Um, you can watch Australian Netflix. They also do really good threat protection because I do know as football fans, we are sometimes forced to click on links that we uh, we're not proud of, right? And and they want to put things on your computer that you're definitely not proud of. So you can go ahead and, and get that threat protection. Uh, you have privacy protection. I think I'm increasingly concerned about like cybercrime and privacy protection. I put this on my parents' computers because like they are just a walking, like, social security number machine. They're like, what stranger can we give our social security number to now when they call and ask about it or click on a link? So yeah, it's the protection you need. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash arsenalvision to get two years with a discount of four extra, a discount and four extra months and gifts. There are gifts, right? So, I mean, this is, is really a very good deal. So it's nordvpn.com slash arsenalvision. Okay. Uh, this, by the way, this is for users connecting from the US, the UK, uh, Australia, and Canada. Okay. So I just want to let you know US, UK, Australia, and Canada. So if you are in Europe, I think you'd get a different deal. But the, uh, the two years with a discount and four extra months and 30 day risk free is nordvpn.com slash Arsenal Vision. Okay. I think I made my way through that. One last thing this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can't stress it enough. Uh, BetterHelp is not online therapy. It is therapy that happens to be online. You should do therapy. It's just that simple. It is not just about crisis correction. It is about day-to-day -day management. If you do exercise, if you watch what you eat, if you do anything for your health whatsoever, the most important part of your body is your brain. It's that thing that sits between your ears, inside your skull. It turns out it's really important. And working on it is really important. And while it may be a partner that you talk to or a sister or a brother or a, a friend, a coworker, a professional can help you move past the things that hold you back. I, I have done it. I am a huge proponent of it. And I cannot recommend it strongly enough. You don't have to drive to an office. You don't have to drive back. You don't have to say, I didn't really particularly connect with that therapist, but they're the only one in driving range for me or the only one that takes my insurance or whatever the case is. You don't have to worry about that. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash vision today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash vision. Paul, is that enough of that? Indeed. Not it. Okay, Jacob. Um, we have some team news. And I would say it's looking pretty good and it's going to be pretty interesting because we play so little in March. I think the biggest challenge for Mikel is he's got to reintegrate some players, but he doesn't have a lot of games to do it and a lot of time to do it. Looks like Thomas party is in the group. Jesus is in the group, but they're managing that knee injury. More on that in a moment. Looks like Zinchenko may be in the group or maybe just a little bit further away. Tomiyasu just a little bit further away. Timber is in full training. I would expect that means another month of full training before he can play in an actual game. But what's your reaction to the team news? What what jumps out at you? Party's the one I think that's gonna that's gonna have an impact on the weekend. I'd I'd be I'd be surprised if we see Zinchenko for a couple of reasons. One, it, it's been so long. Two, there's been less of him in training. And three, that would necessitate a change in shape. 
a little bit to reintegrate Zinchenko now. I don't. I, I think if he were to come into the team, he wouldn't be doing the things that Kivior has been doing to balance. Great us. point. Yeah, great point. Uh, whereas if you just look at the way we played in the last game, and, and one bit of team news, by the way, I, th- I think there's a slight doubt on Trossard. I think there was talk of Trossard training away from the group. With Interesting. Zinchenko. I hadn't seen that in the. Was yeah. that the Mikel press conference, <sighs> or did I just somehow miss? I'm that? not sure whether he mentioned, but I, I, I remember seeing a good Arsenal report saying okay. that Trossard was training away from the group, and that may have been why he uh, why he didn't feature in the last game mm. so much. Um, the, the the way we played with Jorginho in the last game, that to me, a we know that Jorginho is fit. Uh, it works so effectively, and B, you kind of know that Party could step in and do exactly what Jorginho was doing. So that for me feels like a, uh, a a simple thing of saying, right, share the game between the two of those players, get Party some minutes, and and then we move forward like that. Jesus similar could come in for Havertz if we play the same shape. Could even play in a wide position. I I think those are the two that we might see this weekend. I mean, what you say about March, you're right. Two games. Everyone's going to be saying the same thing. Just get back to Dubai. Mm-hmm. For God's sake, get to Dubai. Phone Can you Qatar imagine? Airways now. We'd win every game 10-0 if we went back to Dubai. Just well, but I, I suspect what they will do, I suspect they would have been looking at doing some kind of friendly for Timber anyway. And I think mm. now, because of that gap in the middle of that month, we're definitely going to have some kind of behind-closed-door friendly. We know you know, Watford will get a call or something and we'll try and sort something out there. I think what's interesting is looking at April now, there's going to be a few situations before the end of the season where we're going to play like three games in eight days, nine days. And in those periods, I think we're going to have to rotate. And for the first time ever, I think we're looking at having a group of 14, 15, 16, rather than a group of 12, you know? I Mm. I think the last couple of seasons, we've had groups of 12 players who it feels like Arteta trusts. Over the last couple of months, we've seen uh, Trossard really step up. Tommy Asu's been great. Kivior's really stepped up now. I think you could say we've got 14, 15, 16 players that Arteta trusts. And I think during those periods in the spring when we've got real fixture congestion, we're going to have to be ready to bring people in and out a bit more. The one that, as I say at the start, really interests me is Zinchenko because that's the one where I go, you'd need to change shape slowly. Yeah, I think that's that's a really interesting point, right? Which is, We've seen Martinelli be able to get on the interior a little more with um, Kivior staying a bit out wide and Ben White inverting has just created different dynamics, different overloads. You know, we know Declan Rice will be in there, our London's footballer, Premier League Footballer of the Year in the London Awards, an actual good award given out as opposed to the Ange Postacoglu nonsense. Um, you know, I think Jorginho is, is an interesting one because he's become so important for us and he was so good against Newcastle, but do we want it? pick guard places to use him. You could easily use him in this game, eight, eight days of rest. Um, and then just go with uh, Kai up front again. I don't know, Paul. I mean, I think Mikel had the same sort of challenge against Porto. I really think if you had asked Mikel before Porto, what lineup does he want to use? I think he'd say, I'd like to bring Jorginho in and pick one of Trissard or Kai. But he went with the team that had just won 6-0, 5-0 away. How can you argue with that, Right. I kind of wonder if we're in the same boat again because we dominated Newcastle so thoroughly. I think he's going to be inclined to say, I'm just not going to touch it. If it ain't broke, I'm not going to try to fix it. Um, Do you see it the same way? And how can he get players like Jesus and Zinchenko and Party, who I think can all be very important to our run-in, especially in April, which is going to be so congested. How can he get them in the mix without disrupting 
what is a team that's in the reddest, hottest of form uh, in world football right now? Sure. I think the default is uh, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Um, plus, you got to reward players for what they've done. And maybe he just wants to bet in the Havertz thing one more time. Uh, you know, it's, he's he's been having success for this team. It's firing for him. He'd have Sheffield United as a target to go at. Uh, there's a pretty decent chance you come out of that game with Havertz feeling settled in now at a couple of positions. I always felt... I've gone to the Havertz thing, but I think there's so much of a kind of a domino effect from where do you, if you play Havertz and where you play Havertz, you can almost pick the team beyond that. Maybe that's not quite the case. The broader answer is the players you talk about, whether it's Zinchenko coming back or Jesus or Party off the bench, right? That's what the last 20 minutes is for. You basically go with the the first 11 you that's working, that's flowing, and let the others come in, and like you can't just bring in whoever, parties, Inchenko, whatever, and drop the guy who's there. That's not how you manage a team or a squad. It's one thing if you go if it's the Champions League final or you're playing City at the Etihad next week, but you're not. You're playing Sheffield United, so you have a little. You can't take it for granted, but you're going to determine how that game is played. So. The one thing you want to do, we're now back, back to being fast start Arsenal. You know, lump from the right, kickoff, get the pressure on, get the press going. So you need your Havertz, Martinelli, Saka, whoever your pressing unit is up front. So I think you go with Havertz again as striker and you 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 get the domino effect back from there. I don't think you drop Jorginho. Uh, I don't think there's any reason to. I think you play you have this really interesting, so many interesting combos, but the Rice-Jorginho one, where we've seen Jorginho deeper and Rice free to roam, and weirdly, Rice deeper and Jorginho free to roam, go where the action is. There's so much flexibility within that starting 11 now in terms of combinations. That's what you go with. You play the other guys off the bench. You let them come into it. They can play to the level that, that their fitness allows and they can earn their spot when it comes around and you know he's got time to think about the next game there's some nice gaps here um it's an it's a weird march which just seems to be following the script we wrote during the summer which is slow build slow burn build it up uh be in position to push in the second half of the season the interlull i had a tweet early in the season of Urian Timber will rejoin us in and around the interlull and be ready for the run-in and give us those legs. And like, and we're getting these players back. It's feeling really good, Elliot. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I, it is. I, on the Timber thing, I just want to be clear. My position hasn't changed, which is I don't think Timber will play any meaningful minutes this season. I will wind up probably being wrong about that, but that's my opinion. You're going to be very, very wrong, Elliot. Very it's possible. <laughs> it, it hasn't happened before, but I imagine it could happen eventually. Um, this could be the time, Elliot. But I think you're going to be, like if we stay in the Champions League, like holy moly, we're going to be like anybody who has a pulse who's good. Yeah, they're going to be important. I think the reason I'm saying it is simply that Timber has emerged as a very good player for us. Tomiyasu is a player that has played this season for us. And Zinchenko is ostensibly our first choice 
left back. You know, I don't think that has changed, although some people may. And I simply think that barring an injury crisis that is as yet unforeseen, taking a guy coming back from an ACL injury who's just ready to even start playing any minutes, probably roughly in April, and throwing him in to critical fixtures like Spurs away or United away or Villa at home, right? Or City away or a a semifinal of a Champions League when you could instead use a Timber who's in red hot form and playing for us or a Zinchenko who's played all season. Like, It's not that I doubt Timber's quality. It's that I almost think... I, I almost think it may just be a case of, you know what, training with the group gives us a lift. He can be on the bench. Maybe he can play minutes if it's 3-0 home to, to you know, Bournemouth in May. But I, I, I think the manager might just opt to be cautious and use players who have been more recently in the plan, Paul. Yes, though you did have a sentence that said, barring an injury crisis, and then listed Zinchenko <laughs> and Tommy Asu. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, lots of things are going to happen. We have, tro- <laughs> yeah. we have Trossard training on his own because he had bad wind. Like, mm. there's just going to be so many th- so many unknown unknowns here mm. no, you're in right. this season. And you're right. lots of pressure and games midweek and the weekend and rest and rotation. And the one, like, the one thing. Tro- Timber gives you is a balance between the Zinchenko and a conventional. Now we haven't seen much of them, but we're and I'm doing some projecting here. That's the weakest part of my argument here. But we saw something: a guy who could both Zinchenko and defend uh, in the same player, incredibly. And uh, how would that not get used? If he's fit, I just can't see how the manager won't use him. even if it's off the bench, those could be the most important minutes uh, in a number of games. Uh, I, I, you're wrong, Elliot. I'm, I'm more Probably. convinced than all the other times where it turned out you weren't wrong. That you're I'm, wrong, I'm wrong Elliot. I'm wrong a lot. I'm anchoring, I'll admit, to biases too, just about the timeline for people coming back from ACLs. And he's clearly ahead of that timeline. Like There's, there's simply no denying that now. Um, I don't think debating the return of timber is super valuable. I think Paul's going to jettison from the pod though. So Paul's on Twitter, pause my fans. Thanks pause. I am. Yes, I am. Woo-hoo! Okay. He is going to do the mute and then turn off camera thing. And um, in fact, I can turn off his camera. I think there we go. I did. Um, well, I just super quick, Jacob, because I don't want to bog down here, but do you have any strong opinion? I mean, I look just so we're clear, this is not me saying Timber isn't a fantastic player who could be important for us. I think we have to remember what we've seen of Timber. We've seen Timber play for us in preseason yep. and half of one Premier League game. A that's what we've seen. A community shield. Yep, I apologize. That's right. And that, that's an important and relevant data point. But like, it's not a guy who played a full season for us and then this happened. So we have very, very limited understanding of his integration It's a very complex system. He spent most of this time not being able to train. We're coming into an April that's going to be ferocious. So I'm just, I think pumping the brakes on expectation is important. Not because I think he's not a sensational player, and I think he will be for us down the line. But first of all, setbacks are common when you're reintegrating from this. You know, a soft tissue injury here or there is possible. And we have so many players, weirdly, right now, we actually have so many players at the fullback position that can play there that I just, I, I think it might be a case kind of like, remember how people got frustrated with Martinelli not playing more and they were like, Mikel hates Martinelli. And it yes. turns out we were just being really cautious, reintegrating him from that knee injury. 
I think there might we might wind up with some surprising cautiousness on this one. I I do agree, and I I I would be very surprised if he started any games before now and the end of the season. I think he might get some minutes. Do, do you know? I I and I I have to say I, I kind of agree with you, and I have agreed with you in terms of this prediction of not really seen in this season. The only thing that's changed my opinion has been Arteta's quotes and the way mm. that Arteta speaks about him. He's spoken about him so highly in terms of the way that he's committed to his recovery. He keeps saying that, you know, the, the medical staff are so complimentary of the way that he's worked, the the intensity that he's put into his, his recovery, the the way that he's trying to come back. And then the way that he talks about him in terms of what he gives the team, that there was a quote yesterday, he was talking about Timber and he said, first of all, his leadership, his versatility, the quality that he has to play in different positions, especially in attacking phases, the spaces that he can occupy and certain qualities that nobody else in the squad has. He's been a big miss. Mm. He loves the player. I mean, it's huge. And I, I've got to be honest with you, mate. I, I last summer I had no idea what we'd bought him for. I, I'll be mm. really honest. I wasn't sure what this was. I we, we'd obviously just come out of a season where you know I think all of us would maybe agree to a certain extent that we didn't win a title because we lost Saliba. So then you buy this ball carrying, progressive passing, playing centre back, and you go right. That's Saliba cover. I think fairly quickly over the summer we saw that actually Arteta wants to use him in the fullback positions. He's played largely on the right for both the Netherlands and Ajax, so you think, okay, maybe he's going to be a right-side fullback. Then, Community Shield and first game of the season, Nottingham Forest at home, he plays on the left. I, I'm still not sure the way that we're going to deploy Timber. The, the thing that has changed in my mind, I went from seeing him as a depth option when we purchased him to reading quotes like that, where Arteta's saying things about his leadership, uh, his his positions in attacking phases and the fact that he has certain qualities that nobody else in the squad has. And I think this guy's going to start an awful lot of games for us. I, I'll be very curious to see what happens this season, but I have no doubt that if he's able to stay fit, he will become a very important part of the squad. Like that, that much I think is clear. Um, quickly on Gabriel Jesus, I do think two weird things happen, right? I think... Sometimes when a team is struggling, an injured player who's been out is the the superstar that's going to fix it all. And when a team is playing well and they have a backup player in there doing the job, the injured starting player suddenly goes down in estimation. Like, ah, we don't even need him. Yeah. And I think a little of that is happening with Gabriel Jesus. I think his value to us has been understated. Now, and I can understand why, because frankly, he came to the club, he got out of the blocks, Red hot, changed all our lives, as Mikel said. He said that multiple times. Um, and then he got a big knee injury at a midseason World Cup, not his fault. Struggled to stay fit, came back probably too soon. Still played pretty well, having come back. Continues to just have knock on effects for that. Mikel said he doesn't think he has to go back under the knife. He's been fluid on the knee, probably shouldn't have played against Forrest. And there's some discussion now that we're going to manage him through the season to just. Have him when we need him, but make sure we don't overuse him and we're going to manage this injury. And then maybe in the summer, he can rest up and get fully healthy. Brazil, by the way, play twice in the international break coming up. They play in Europe, though. They play England and Spain. So at least not on a million-hour flight to Brazil and back. That's helpful. But what do you think about Jesus? I think it's really important that we have him. I, I think he he can do some things that none of our other players in that position can do. 
but I accept now that it's probably going to be a case of managing his availability the rest of the season. So where are you with Gabriel Jesus's integration? Uh, I find this so hard to talk about. To interesting. I, th- I think one of the first things you and I spoke about on a pod together was our shared admiration for Jesus and the way he plays. I mean, that that period that he had before the World Cup at the start of last season, he was one of the best players in Europe. He, he was ridiculous. The, the, the things he was doing... And by the way, he still had a goal drought in that period. He still went a few games without scoring goals. But, the, you know, as Arteta said, he changed our world. The intensity that he brought to our attack after the line had been led by Lacazette for such a long time the season prior. It's, it's so sad because I, I watched Trossard. Um, what, how many games did Trossard start in a row? Four games? Five games? And we, yeah. we scored so many goals and... I know Clive has said a couple of times about there seems to be this real correlation between Trossard being in the team and the team scoring goals. And I look at most of the things that Trossard brings the team and I kind of think, well, Jesus can do that, but a little bit more. Jesus can press, but does it a bit more. Jesus can link play, but do it a bit more than Trossard. Jesus can receive the ball in tight spaces. The one thing that Jesus can't do that I think Trossard can do is finish clinically. I, I think Trossard's a better finisher than Jesus. There's no denying that. Simply no denying that whatsoever. And I, I look around the rest of our forward line and I start to think, actually, there are other players that can do the things Jesus does. But the X factor that maybe Trossard brings is his finishing. He's, he's a better finisher than Jesus. He's a better finisher than Havertz. And so maybe it's quite important to have a player that can finish like that. And, you know, to sort of loop us back to what we just spoke about at the start, Victor Gokarez, the, the numbers he's put up this season in terms of finishing look really, really good. I think in terms of Jesus' future, this knee injury, it has hung around. You know, we, we, he came yeah. back, was it last April that he returned to the team? No, he, it, was, it was earlier than that, I want to say. Was it earlier than April? It, yeah. it was around, it was uh, around that time, I think. I remember we played Fulham in March and Trossard led the line and, and did incredibly well. And that was a really good game. Start of this season, he was out for a little while because he had to have some clean-up surgery. I think that's how they worded it, what they yep. had to do to his knee. Mm-hmm. It's come back again. We, they, we, it was leaked that before the Forest game, he was having problems with his knee, but he played through it. I, I don't know. I just, I just worry about it now because I think he turns 28 this summer, Jesus. And if you look at the, the statistics for the games he was playing at City, he was... You know, he, he featured 28 games the season before he joined us, then 29 the season before that, 34 the season. It, it was never... March 12th, by the way, was when he uh, came off the bench to play against Fulham, and then he started for us on uh, March 16th uh, against Sporting. Not that anyone wants to remember that tie. Mm. Yeah, it, it, I, I, I guess my point is it, it doesn't really feel like that injury ever properly went away, you know? It feels like it's lingered. Can I bring up one thing, by the way, though, looking at this? He comes back March 12th from a big injury that he suffered in December. And he plays March 12th, March 16th, March 19th, April 1st, April 9th, April 16th, April 21st, April 26th, May 2nd, May 7th, May 14th, May 20th, May 28th. Like, and he started the last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 of those games. So... I don't know. I, I think that's an interesting point just to consider, right? The guy came back from a very big knee injury and basically wasn't ever present um, for well, us. Did, well, but did we play him through pain? I mean, I, no, I, I mean, do that, worry that, that we may have... De- but you, did you hear what Mikel said about the Forest game? He said he he insisted on being out there. He had some fluid on the knee, but he insisted on being out there. It yeah. reminds me a little bit, if you remember back to the, the really fun Emery days, um, Aaron Ramsey tail end yeah. of that Emery season, insisted on playing, I want to say it was a Europa League 
fixture, actually. And he played him, and he lost him, and he didn't have him the rest of the season. Then we went on to lose that Palace game or whatever it was and didn't finish top four. Like Sometimes I think you have to be able to tell these players no. And, and for the record, I'm not saying like we went against the medical staff's information. But I, I think where I disagree on, not disagree, but where I, I feel strongly about Jesus is there are things I think he can do that are a little better than our current option. So first of all, I don't think we have anyone that can beat a man off the dribble or make life as difficult off the dribble as Gabriel Jesus full stop, but certainly not from central positions, right? Yeah. I, um, I think he is probably the best attacking third passer we have at nine. I don't think Kai is better than him for sure. And I think Trissard is okay, but I think Jesus is really exceptional at linking. Um, I think Jesus is our, of Trissard and Jesus, I think he's a phenomenal pressing, out of possession pressing player. Um, and I do think that it's interesting because we were so good at pressing against Newcastle when we used Kai and Odegaard as the two in the like four four two pressing shape. I think Jesus is exceptional at that. And if you're able to drop Kai back one line, then you're going to be even more impressive um, from a pressing standpoint. And last but not least, the thing about Jesus that he can do that Trissard cannot do, you can just hoof the ball to him and he will win duels. He will take the ball down. Like he is a surprisingly excellent winner of sort of aerial duels, loose ball duels. He gives you a little bit more fight in that central space. And I just, I I think that we probably slightly undervalue him because he misses chances, which is a huge problem. And because he's injured a lot without belaboring this point, I simply think if you said to me between party and Jesus and Zinchenko, we have to try to integrate one of them really effectively in this run-in to try to win everything. Jesus would probably be my top choice. He'd probably be my top choice because I just think he gives us a little extra something. Like, let's put it this way. If we could get a Jesus, Jacob, for Mm. some chunk of the rest of this season that's anything like the one we had when he arrived, that's going to change all our lives again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I just think people don't know if that's... People are acting like that player's not still in there. And I think that's a little unfair. You know, I, I think that's a little unfair. It, it just might not be in there with this level of fitness. It might mm. not be in there with whatever's going on with his knee, with fluid on his knee. It might not be in there whilst that's there. It might. It's not to say it's never going to come back. And it, that player certainly existed at Manchester City for periods of time. It's whether that can be accessed. I mean, it's, it's so interesting. I, I I think I would agree with you if I was to pick one of the three. But six weeks ago, I'd have picked Thomas Partey. Mm. I'd have said, we need something that could unlock our, our midfield and, and you know improve the way we get the ball to our forwards quickly. I think tactically what we've done over the last few weeks is move Erdegaard a little bit deeper for certain games. And he's provided a bit of that. But I completely agree with you. If, if, if you could offer me a Jesus that was similar to the one that started the season before this one, that that's a player that would get into any team in the league and that could propel anyone to, to win in a title. And so this is where it's going to get interesting, right? Because the thing with party is I'd say, I think Jorginho has given us some of it. I mean, he, he doesn't have the elusiveness of a, of a Thomas party. He's not going to carry the ball, but his reading of the game is progressive passing. Some of, some of his final third passing is better than Thomas party. And this is the issue. This is where it gets really weird. We play Sheffield United on Monday and we play Brentford on Saturday, then we play Porto on Tuesday, and then we don't play again until March 31st. 19 days without a game in the middle of March. Just crazy. Now, there will be international football for some. One interesting point, though, Ghana don't play. So Thomas Party will have all that time to just be at Arsenal. So if he's going to be reintegrated, 
Like, that's going to be the time. And it may be interesting because this is where it gets really weird. What's the game right after the interlow? Of course, it's Manchester City away. It's the Etihad. I think managers like to use players who have been at the training ground, right? More than they want to use players who have just arrived on Thursday before, you know, before the, the biggest game of the season. If Thomas Party is looking fit and available and has just spent two weeks, you know, at the Soba training ground, um, and he's ready, could it be a Thomas Party and Declan Rice midfield? Um, to be fair, I mean, Jorginho will probably be. Is Jorginho still playing international football? I don't. I have really, to admit, I don't know. He probably. I don't think he is. He isn't. Okay, that'd be good. Um, but you know, so I, I think he'd be in major contention for that game. Uh, Brazil, as I said, play in Europe, but I don't know if Jesus will get called up depending on his fitness. So it'd be very interesting. Is a big part of this though, Jacob? Like how we approach Sheffield United, how we approach Brentford at home. Certainly not the Porto tie. That's a win at all cost game. But like, is to try to position ourselves to get 20 minutes for party, to get 15 minutes for Zinjenko, to get 25 minutes for Jesus. Because once we hit April, let's just start with March, right? We'll have City away, Luton at home, Brighton away, Villa at home, Wolves away, Tottenham away, all in the month of March, if if you uh, April, I mean, if you put, if you allow the City game to count as an April game, all of that in April, plus the rearranged Chelsea fixture. So, I mean, there's a possibility that if you're willing, if you're willing to count March 31st as April, I mean, we could have seven games in the league and then Champions League if we've made it. So, like, it's going to be all hands to the pump. And this is where my timber thing could wind up looking really dumb. But, like, I don't think there's a world where we get where we want to go if Zinchenko, Jesus, and Party aren't integrated some level. So is that is that the key really? Like over the next these next two league games, at least Sheffield United and Brentford. Obviously, we've got to win them, but to try to find paths back in for these players that have missed some time, so that they're looking ready to go when that insane April kicks off. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I think it's getting those players running, getting them fit, getting them back on the pitch. I mean, how good would it be to get Jesus a goal? before those fixtures to get him back on the scoring sheet. I mean, it's easy to forget, I think, because our attack has looked so good in the last three or four games. You forget in that Forest game, Jesus was man of the match. Yeah. Got an assist and a we, goal. We don't win that game without him. No I, I really think people just completely underestimate him. I know he missed a sitter in that game too, but he scored from a tight angle. He had a great assist. Yeah. But it's, it's a narrative thing, isn't it? It's that since then we've scored, you know, 19 goals in every single game when he's not been there. And naturally the human brain goes, right, well, Jesus gone, Arsenal score goals. Simple. I, I think one thing that we will want to do and one thing that I think Arteta will try to do is to try different shapes and different systems over the next couple of games. I think he'll try something a little bit different in either Sheffield United or Brentford. We've seen over the last few games that we've moved between a kind of natural double pivot in midfield with Jorginho and Rice. There have been games where it's been Erdegaard dropping a bit deeper. Kivior's operating slightly differently from the left-back position. There were games where it seemed like White was more keen to step into midfield, some games where he's less keen to do so. I think going into that Manchester City game, this is going to be the first time that Pep maybe won't know what we're going to do. And that will be a huge weapon. Ever since the start of this season, Arteta has been saying in press conferences, I want to be able to do different things tactically and to surprise people. And I think he's been hugely unfortunate that he's lost personnel that's allowed him to do that. And I think from August, when he was saying that, to now, coming up to 
31st of March, that huge game against City, that could be the first time that we go into a game and Pep is looking at it and going, I don't know whether it's going to be Havertz or Jesus up top. I don't know whether they're going to invert from the left back or the or the right back position or if they're going to do it at all. I don't know if it'll be a double pivot or a lone six. For the first time in a really long time, we're going to be able to go to the Etihad and surprise Manchester City with personnel and shapes that mm. they won't expect. And that's a weapon that Arteta's never had. And this is a season where we're looking to do the double over City in the league, which sounds mad. Mm. But if you go through the fixtures, I, I on another show that I do, I did a kind of a fixture prediction where we predicted all of City's, Liverpool's and Arsenal's games. Predict a head- cease and desist. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I forgot you guys. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, pro- I promise it was. Uh, we'll be doing that. We'll be doing that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I won't say which 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 way we decided the title was going to go, but I will say the head to heads are absolutely massive. The head to heads are huge um, mm. between what we're going to do against Manchester City, what what happens when, you know, City go to Anfield, they're going to be massive. And we, we've got a few other games, you know, Old Trafford, Tottenham. We're going to need to be able to surprise people. And I think. It's the first time in Arteta's reign, like I said, that we feel like we've got 15, 16 players that he trusts that he'll happily play in big games. So we, we could surprise people now. It's one of Pep's strengths and, and sometimes it's one of his weaknesses. Pep is willing to play anybody in any game. There's no such thing with Pep as, this team won last time, so I'm going to pick them again. But people have criticized him for that, right? Because it's bitten him in the Champions League, for example. I think one of the hardest things to do as a manager is take a team that's rip-roaring, red-hot, slaying everything before it, and then say... And now I'm going to change it. But he's going to have to do that in April. And this is where the Jesus thing could matter, by the way. Because if I told you we're going into the Villa home game and we're rotating Saka out for Nelson, I think that might make you very nervous. But if I said we're rotating Saka out for Gabriel Jesus, you might think, I think we can get away with that. Um, There's no way Bakayo Saka and Gabriel Martinelli are playing seven games, nine games in April, whatever the heck it winds up being, right? If there's two Champions League fixtures and and six league fixtures, I mean, I don't even know if you fit all those games in that month, to be fair. I, some of them probably have to go to May, but like, it's, it's the point that we're going to have to use the squad. And I, I think these next couple of games, you got to find a way to get them in. And I will say, by the way, Sheffield United is not a trap game, but the trappiest of trap games is the Brentford home game. So it'll be yeah. interesting to see how we approach that. And maybe that's a game to bring in a party and a Gabriel Jesus who are hungry and haven't played and want to win their place back just to keep the competitive level high and the freshness high. Because like then you've got Porto a few days later. The, the players are definitely going to have their mind on that. It's going to be all of Mikel's preparation skills to keep the players thinking about the Brentford game. To me, it, it feels so much like the Southampton fixture last season, that, that home game against Southampton where you know, just came out of the blocks, not on it. So, yeah. I, you know, and this team looks like it's got something about it where it won't let that happen. I think some of the characters in the team seem more suited to that. Um, so we'll see. But let's just wrap up here real quick. Uh, first of all, Liverpool, you know, they're they're going to win easily this weekend. I think that goes without saying. Um, there is a Manchester derby, and like rooting for United to get anything in that is kind of like when the dealer is showing a nine and you've got sixteen and you have to hit. It's not. <laughs> it's not like going to happen. I'm almost fine just rooting for United to lose eight nil because it'd be funny rather than trying to root for anything else. But for people who aren't aware, Liverpool go to Forest. 
a little tricky, I guess. Liverpool coming off, playing a bunch of kids in the FA Cup and getting through. Forest coming off, playing well against United and not getting through. Um, United obviously just going to the Eddie Head to get absolutely demolished. Do you have any expectation in either of those fixtures? I look at the Forest game and I think that's a, a, a well-organized deep block that we we did struggle with a bit. I mean, look, speaking relatively about the games we've played since our little holiday trip to Dubai, that was the only game where we didn't score nine goals. So, so let's say that that's a fairly resolute defense. It's a Liverpool team who are still stretched injury-wise, who might have a bit of hangover from the cup final. Who knows? The 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 game at the Etihad, I mean, I I think that United team are so bad. I think they're so poor. But they did go to Anfield and they grinded out a draw there. And they they played absolute sufferable. Amrabat featured in that, as as I believe he'll feature in this. And you never know. So uh, look, we're in that period of the season, mate. We're we're staring down the barrel of the running now, and it's it's got to that point where. Every weekend, I'm checking the apps on my phone, hoping that someone's going to pull a rabbit out of a hat against Manchester City, against Liverpool. It's 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 so hard because they're such good teams, but that's where we are. And every every week, I find a way of creating a logical argument in my mind as to why the unexpected might happen. You know, United did it away at Anfield. Why can't they do a similar thing away at the Etihad, where you know City have been dropped points at Chelsea a couple of weeks ago? Who knows? Forest was a more difficult game for us than the others were. Who knows if that could be the case for Liverpool with a hangover. Every week, I'm going to come up with these things in my mind as to why those two teams might draw at points. And nine times out of ten, they won't. But it's, it's the hope that kills you, isn't it? It is. Um, I mean, Erling Holland scored more goals in midweek than I think United have this season. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's definitely the hope that kills you. I, I do think Forest away could be tricky, depending on who Liverpool have available. Um, they have some injury worries. I, I think City, it's weird. They haven't looked brilliant in the league. They actually haven't. They've, they've kind of just ground out some results. The thing that makes United weird is I think they're terrible, but the one thing they're kind of good at is counterattacking. Yeah. They have players that can run fast and they have Bruno who can distribute from deep. They're just so unorganized defensively. So I don't know which way it'll shake out how they get beat, but I just imagine they will get beat. Last, last thing, Sheffield United on Monday. If you said to me, What's the what's the two easiest fixtures of the season? I'd say Sheffield United at home and Sheffield United away. They're that bad. But if you said to me, turn the Sheffield United away game into a tricky game, I'd say put it under the lights and put it on Monday night. Yes. You know, a raucous crowd, their one chance to have sort of like this can be a cup final for them, right? Like it's it's a Monday night game in front of the country in the Premier League that a league they're gonna be exiting in a couple of months. Is there any chance that they can have something for us or or is it a case where if we just play like we have been there's just there's just no chance. I think this is where we look like we've grown up this season. And th- this is where we look like a serious serious team now and it's we don't get caught in games like this. We don't get slapped. We don't get embarrassed on TV the way we did against Brentford at the start of the season a couple of years ago. Arteta's brought in players who who win second balls, who who don't get run past, who don't forget to track someone. We we've built a way of playing where if you don't let us play through you, that's fine. We've got two six foot four defenders who win headers at corners and put the ball in the back of the net that way. I, I just think we're too resolute now. I think I think the way he's built this team, and he's done things that I wouldn't have done. You know, as, as a as a romantic who who started watching Arsenal under Arsene Wenger, I wouldn't have said let's replace you know. 
Partey and Xhaka in midfield with two dual winners who win everything in the air, win second balls and, and can counter-press. And that's what we've done and it's the right thing to do. I wouldn't have invested so much time and money into coaches that help us score goals from set pieces. That's what we've done. It's the adult thing to do. I think the most respectable thing Arteta's done this season is stop us being vulnerable to games like this. And that's why... The, I, I completely agree with your logic and it's the kind of thing where seasons gone by I'd, I'd look at this game and go this actually feels a bit nervy mm. with, with these players and with this manager for the first time in a really 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 long time it doesn't feel scary anymore and it, it feels it feels like adults are in charge the crazy thing about Sheffield United is you know they've conceded uh, they're minus 44 goal difference they've conceded 66 goals They've actually conceded 36 at home and only 30 away. Only 30 away. They've scored 22, 12 at home, 10 away. Um, you know, they have produced 15 expected goals at home versus the eight away, but 27 expected goals allowed versus the 24 away. So, like, in terms of home versus away, there's really not much difference. 10 losses away, nine losses at home, two draws away, two draws at home, one win away, two wins at home. They got monstered 5-0 by Brighton um, at home in their last home fixture. Granted, they were down to 10 men, I think, quite early there. They got monstered 5-0 by Aston Villa, although the XG was a little bit closer, but I think there's some game state to that in their home game before that. I mean... They, they have not done anything that suggests to me that they are ready for what we do. I think Mikel's going to pick the same side he did for Newcastle, is my guess, um, unless he thinks Trissard is fit and then he might not feel he needs Jorginho and Rice. But I think the way we press the crap out of Newcastle, if we do that to Sheffield United, they're going to shit themselves. So I feel pretty good about where we're at. I think we can leave it there. What we'll do is obviously we'll have an instant reaction on Monday, but the main pod will be Tuesday because we're not going to do a main pod on Monday. Um, if hilarious stuff goes on over the weekend, you might get a schadenfreude kind of kind of pod uh, on Patreon over the weekend as well. So we'll keep our fingers crossed for that. As always, Jacob, it's a real pleasure to talk to you. Definitely going to have a chance to talk to you again in the near future. And I, I hope uh, you enjoy watching some football this weekend. I, I don't love the going second or going third every weekend, but this is where we're at. The, the boys will just have to stay mentally tough and at least it's a fixture they should have enough for. So uh, keep our fingers crossed. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, dude. Chat soon. You bet. All right, my name's Elliot Smith, the Goodbye Man, Twitter, Yank Gunner. I'm going to say the thing. Maybe the thing will happen someday. Maybe on Monday. We love you. We will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Chelsea United nil. Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. 
Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nade Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.